Hello, my name's Karen O'Connor, and you're listening to Isn't That Interesting? Hello and welcome. I'm here today again with Ryan. How are you, dude? I'm well. How are you? We are going to talk today because I'm in the middle of let's call it an inquiry. I'm in the middle of looking at discrimination. Initially, it started off as sex discrimination and the big kerfuffle on Facebook. But there's an expansion to that. So we can look at gender discrimination or discrimination based on race or religion or whatever. But I also, I'm also talking to a few people at the moment about body image and It's actually, if you think about it from one angle, body image is a kind of discrimination. And we tend to be, as a society, quite judgmental, yeah, me, about overweight and or very unfit people. We have an opinion about that kind of thing. And so that was what we were going to talk about today, the judgments and the discrimination that are placed on people who might be overweight. Yes, that sounds good. (laughs) Talk to me, Ryan. Because you did some... Okay, I did. The ethics of individualism and how much personal liberty someone has over their ability to choose like how their life looks and what they do for their own body, that kind of issue of privacy is like very significant to modern ethics. Uh, The question of obesity comes up quite a lot because it's this kind of massive health concern that's gotten away from people. And the, uh, I think the main kind of perspective on it is that people should be thin, but don't, which is bad because we want them to stay alive. And obesity has a number of health issues. The question arises of whether or not we should interfere with that. As a society, we should take them in hand and make obese people be thin which is very unethical. There's a very unethical thing to want to do. I'm just going to put that one out there really early on. No matter how much we want to help people, that's a very unethical thing to do. But I think it's important to deconstruct where that initial perspective comes from, because it sounds like a helpful perspective, but in the long term is quite destructive because it has this basic misunderstanding about a lot of things. So what I wanted to talk about, firstly, is that the idea of health is this kind of it's kind of fetishized right ideal it's like in a way the idea of heaven right if you're a good person you get good things if you live a good life you get to be thin <laughs> if you don't live a good life you don't get to be thin and therefore you're a bad person I, this is like a really kind of brief overview i think of the logic of why it's bad to be obese not saying that's how things are at all. But I think that's the, the idea here. But I think it comes from the fact that we think of obesity equals bad, right? Thin equals ideal. And there's this idea that just by living differently, just by exercising regularly, undertaking you know, d- dietary differences, we can change that obesity. So obesity becomes this problem of laziness, when in fact, according to any number of articles in the scientific community, obesity has much more to do with how much control a given person has over their circumstances, their living circumstances, their dietary circumstances, their working circumstances. So it's 
a socioeconomic issue because they don't have a lot of freedom. They do what they can, but a lot of the cheapest foods on the market, for instance, are very fatty, very bad for you. And they don't lend themselves to healthy gut biomes, which again, lends a whole new angle on that. Yeah, one of the things that you cover in that you were talking about that, and there's so many different tangents we can go into on this, but one of the things you were talking about was that the cheaper foods, the more affordable foods, for want of a better expression, not particularly healthy. They're high sugar, high fat, highly processed. And then you also go into the phenomenon that we don't necessarily have over here, but it could be growing bigger, but definitely in America, where they have, I can't remember the actual term for it, I think it might be food deserts, where because of the way the city has expanded, there's no fresh food markets within a particular city area. And if you haven't got a car and you need to walk to the shops or catch public transport to the shop, the only shop available locally is petrol Mm. station. So what can you get there? You can get chips, you can get baked beans, you can get white bread, you can get milk. There's not a lot else that you can get, ready-prepared meals, but that's it. So there's that problem that comes into it. But it's almost like bringing in what we first started talking about. It's almost like we don't, as a society, acknowledge that as being an issue. We place it on the individual. Well, you're choosing to eat poorly. So, you know, you've got the problem and I'm paying for it because of Medicare. I pay my taxes and I've got to look after you. And there's all that kind of stuff goes on in it. I think there's also, that's absolutely right. But there's another kind of a part of it, which is that if you've got this idea of being healthy as something that everyone can achieve, regardless of socioeconomic circumstance, you can sell it. (laughs) you can sell a healthy lifestyle buy this food it'll make you healthy buy this gym program it'll make you healthy regardless of the fact that for sure like healthy eating and regular exercise the cornerstones of health but everyone's needs are individual and statistically speaking from a variety of studies health particularly like in terms of weight gain and loss is much more to do with long-term exercise, the ability to move around during your day, than it does to do with gym exercise. There's a much higher correlation between how long a person spends sitting down in the day and their weight than there is between their diet and their weight, which brings us back to that socioeconomic. Yeah, there it is. It's a much higher correlation. There's still a correlation between diet and obesity, of course. But if you think about careers in which people are required to sit down all day, every day, that's those are the careers in which overwhelmingly people have weight issues and you can balance that up by by exercise but you have to do a significant amount of exercise in a given week like at ridiculous amounts of exercise the people with office jobs that remain fit are those that go for 5k runs three days a week which is let's be honest a ridiculous amount of exercise to have to balance that up yeah that's part of the issue isn't it because our culture values dedication to work like the more hours you work, the better you are, you know? reveres or and even demands that you dedicate yourself to work. So if you want to climb the corporate ladder and you're in that kind of an office job, you are expected to be working every hour that you possibly can. And then you go home, you go to sleep, you come back and you work. You're not expected. It's not necessarily 
it would be almost like if you have eight hours where you're not working, excluding commuting times, if you want to exercise, you exercise in those hours. <laughs> that's basically the expectation. Yeah. And that's a whole thing in and of itself. Any number of studies will tell you that people have about four hours a day of useful ability in which to focus and get things done. And then another four hours in which they're like, okay. And then another eight hours in which they're absolutely useless at getting work done. And those aren't like blocks, they're not chunks. Those are just like bursts across the day. So the idea of work weeks in which people spend eight hours a day, five days a week or more, sitting in an office chair, staring at a screen, it's no surprise <laughs> that we have this massive health problem. And it's not just obesity, a bunch of other things as well, because it's ultimately such a destructive lifestyle that's become normalized. And it's nothing to do with, oh, we should be buying this healthy living dietary thing. We should be going to the gym. It's nothing to do with that. You've got a job that's actively poisonous. It's my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Says somebody who enjoys leaping around on stage with a sword in his hand. I wouldn't, let's be honest. That's a pretty great job. <laughs> but no, no, I get it. It's a really difficult one, isn't it? Because it's almost as a society, we force people into a particular, doing a particular thing. And then we criticize them for doing what we've asked them to do. And it is, mm. there is a definite correlation between that and work around the home because we don't value either one. We want people to be fit and healthy, but we don't value the time that they have to spend if they're gonna be fit and healthy. Yeah. We want the house to be clean, but we don't value the effort that it takes to actually clean it. We want stuff, we want a nice meal made, but we don't value the time that is required to get that meal prepared. The going shopping and the running mm. around and then the preparation and everything else. It's not valued. It's the same kind of thing. And I hadn't thought about it from that perspective at all, but it is the same kind of discrimination. However, the whole judgment thing on people is something else as well, isn't it? Like the way we judge people on the way they look. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And look, a lot of that has to do with societal expectations and things like that. But I think it boils down to, like really boils down to the fact that people who are thin, good looking, energetic and creative within specific bounds are rewarded and other people are not, which has given this kind of hierarchy, which everyone fights to be at the top of that hierarchy <laughs> and puts down the people below them so that you can establish your place further up. I hadn't considered it like that at all, but it's also a snobbery as well. What a snobbery. Mm. Oh yeah, it's, it's a bit of a class system, <laughs> let's be honest. Because there is like that real knee-jerk discrimination. If someone comes in and they have a pre-existing health condition and they're large and they have the symptoms of someone who you know, is carrying a lot more weight. They run out of breath more easily. They can't do as many things. Their movements are more sluggish. They're not as enthusiastic about stuff. All of which are pre-existing symptoms of that, though not necessarily rules. We look down on that because we think of the ideal person and try to fit ourselves into that mold. And the better you fit, 
the better a person you are, the more you get rewarded. Although, of course, there is no reward, so, you know, none of it matters. You don't go to heaven if you're thin. I quite like that, actually. That's catchy. There, are, there have been churches based on that, on a thin, if you think. No, it's church, it's church is based on everything. <laughs> <laughs> but um, once upon a time, being overweight was a beauty standard. Yeah. It still is in some You know, cult. supposedly. Yeah, because it's harder to be overweight in those cultures. Whereas in, in Western society, it's seen as laziness. Which, as we discussed, is not the case. It's more to do with social class. And that turns it into a real kind of classist issue. It is, isn't he it? Said, Why is it a really social like... class thing? What was that? I missed that. What was that? He said being very left wing. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. Dogs and doer. What was it somebody called me the other week? Something lefty. I can't remember. A woke lefty. That's right. <sighs> woke. I was woke as well. I love being woke. I love woke, yeah. <laughs> Just as an aside, to anyone who has a knee-jerk reaction to the word woke, woke means aware to the systematic racism prevalent in the American system, popularized in the 1960s by the black rights movements, right? That's what woke means. Don't listen to the media. No. Woke is, is aware of social issues. It's nothing else. That's a whole other topic. It's a whole other topic. Yeah, it's an interesting one, and I really would like to go there. But let's stick to this because yeah. it's been an interesting experience for me the last few weeks because becoming more aware of the various forms of discrimination. And I'm also reading a book at the moment. I can't get my phone because I'm using the camera called The New Book of Snobs. And it's based on or, yeah, I suppose it's based on the original book of snobs was written in the 1850s by William Thackeray. And this has been brought up mm. to date and it looks at snobbery in all its forms. And basically what he's saying, and it's quite a depressing book, I thought it was actually going to be quite funny. It's not at all. It's really quite depressing. But basically, most kinds of discrimination can be viewed as a sort of snobbery. Because it's all about I'm better than yeah. you. I live here, I look like this, I have this job, and you don't. <laughs> Therefore, I'm better than you. It's yeah. And it's an interesting way of looking at it. I like to discover different ways of looking at the same thing because it gives you a different perspective, a different opportunity to, or an opportunity to see something in a different way. And I quite enjoyed that. But there is a definite snobbery about being overweight and you just said it then it's a class issue a lot of the time like admittedly it's not a it's not a set rule you'll see a lot of very wealthy people who are overweight which to my mind is a gluttony issue because they have the opportunity to not be overweight and they just don't take it but again that could be my own leftist prejudices but that's the thing if you haven't got the opportunity to control a lot of your living circumstances your ability to exercise if you are forced to work in a specific environment you can't change that if you're forced to have a specific diet by your weekly budget and you can't change that if you're forced into a very specific schedule in the day if you don't sleep in the way that you're supposed to be sleeping then you can't, you have much much less agency on your ability to control your body than someone who is much wealthier, who has the ability to change their lifestyle to better suit them. 
which I think is the vast majority. And that's notwithstanding underlying health issues. If you've got thyroid mm. problems or anything like that, it's not talking about any of those kind of things. I know people that eat sweet stuff from morning to night and they're thin as a rake. And I know other people who eat sweet stuff and they're seriously obese. And it's a body, personal body thing. It's not necessarily mm. purely about the diet, but let's have a look at the whole prejudice side of things. There's been stuff recently about, like, let's take plane seats, for example. Cheaper flights, notoriously uncomfortable, even worse if you're overweight. So should we then change the width of the seats to suit bigger people? I love this question because the knee-jerk reaction of, of no, they made their choice. They're bigger, and if they want things to be better, we shouldn't have to change society to make things more comfortable with them, is so common, such an easy thing to say, but when you examine it, it's rule, isn't it? <laughs> That's so inhumane to, to think of people as being better or worse, deserving of comfort, according to their kind of choices, as if we shouldn't treat each individual as a human being, regardless of their personal choices. It might not be a personal choice anyway. Yeah. It comes down to the fact that if it is about money, which it might be about money, but then if it comes to the fact that your seats are, say, 20 centimetres thinner than they should be, then I have a, a, have a lot of issue <laughs> with the person who's designing these seats in order to save airlines. What on the surface of it isn't actually that much money. It's just squeezing. And where does that, that squeezing end? It's interesting. I remember a few years ago, there was somewhere else I wanted to go with this, and I can't remember what it is now. I should say right here that Ryan and I are both sick and we are not functioning at 100%. So please excuse our discussion. <laughs> Ryan's mm -hmm. got COVID and I've got glandular fever, but this needs to be recorded, so mm -hmm. we're going to do it, but it might be a short one, shorter than our usual ones anyway. I, a few years ago, or like a few years, about 15 years ago, we had somebody who we knew quite well and I wanted, didn't want her, I was thinking about bringing her into the office. We had a business at the time that required office staff and required things to be done and we, had, we were working with somebody to help us recruit at the time. And I introduced the recruiter to this person who we'd known for quite a while. And when she'd gone, the recruiter said to me, if it was me, I wouldn't employ her. Anybody who's as overweight as that has got serious issues that they need to deal with. And that kind of left me thinking, oh, I don't know where to go with this now. What do I Yes, she probably has, but does that mean she can't do the job? I don't think so. I think she'd be okay. But it was I found it really shocking that she brought that up as an issue, as a reason not to consider employing this person. Would she have said the same thing if somebody walked in with pink spiky hair and a nose rings and earrings and all that kind of looked like a punk or something. I don't know. Is it that she just wanted people to look a particular way? But it did really shock me because, like I say, I knew the person personally. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things which is the problem with that kind of thinking is 
that... Oh, can I just say before you go on, had I not yeah. known the person, I might have thought the same way. I've just got to get that clear. And I think one of the things that shocked me was she held a mirror up to my own prejudices. I think because that's the problem with this kind of thinking is that the idea that a person who has weight issues in the eyes of the person looking at them, it becomes this issue of personal care, attention to detail, ability to control their living circumstances, moral fiber, which means that because it becomes that kind of internal moral issue, it becomes much easier to justify <laughs> that kind of thing. You know, we now know that it's, as a society, that it's bad to do that for women as opposed to men. If a woman walks in, we say, oh, 60 years ago, we'd be like, oh, she'll be flighty and gossipy and not as good at physical labor and blah, 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 blah. Regardless of whether or not that actually applies to the individual. Because that could be the case, statistically speaking, there's always someone. But as a whole, it doesn't allow for individual assessment more understanding of it. And that's the insidiousness of it. As long as we can justify it morally, we can just ignore the fact that it's still discrimination because we're not talking to an individual, we're talking to an idea. And as long as we can just dismiss that idea out of hand, oh, they're overweight, we don't like them. We're not required to change anything. We're not required to do anything. We can control our own little world. It's that what discrimination is. It's reducing people to a thing an object as opposed to being a human being? I think on the basis of it, yeah. Psychologically speaking, I'm just going to very quickly say that, and I think I've mentioned it before in this podcast, psychologically speaking, the human brain has this wonderful tendency to categorize people, which saves so much time in the long run because you don't have to meet people and then just build up a whole psychological profile every time, which will take a really long time. Instead, we can make these kind of preconceptions. We can fit people into little boxes and then our day goes much more smoothly. There is a problem with this, however. Problem is that if we have a box marked bad and we just stick someone in that box, regardless of their personal circumstances, based on something they can't control, that becomes discrimination. It's just that shortcut. And if as a society, our shortcut is obese equals bad, but I don't feel I need to reinforce this, listener. But that's bad, morally speaking. We don't like that. It's very lazy as well, isn't it? It's, I can understand why we do it. It's like that thing that President Obama only had two different kinds of shirts and two different types of suits or whatever it was in his wardrobe. So all he had to do, he didn't have to think about what he had to wear. They were just there. He got them out, he put them on and that was it. I do the same thing. You've done it for years, haven't you? You got your little wardrobe. Yeah. Pick up one outfit and wear it. It does. I know that we've only got so much brain power available, a certain amount of brain power available to make decisions. I understand that. And that... Having all of these boxes ready, we can look at somebody and instantly go, oh, they go in that box, regardless of how that box is marked. Mm. And it's very difficult to take people out of a box when we put them in them too, isn't it? I think it's... For most people... It's less difficult to do that than it is easy to just not question it. Mm. (laughs) Because the way around, it's quite simple. When you meet someone and you come to this conclusion about them, 
to yourself about five seconds after meeting them, but do I know them? That's it. It's a very simple question. But do I know them? You know, is this person gossipy or are they nervous? Is this person whiny or do they have an underlying pain issue? Is this person lazy or is it a socioeconomic factor? Do I know them? It's a very simple question, but it's much, much easier, honestly, just to not ask. It takes much more time, much more energy. And we want to spend our time and energy scrolling on our phones, looking at the television screen, patting cats. No, that's um, judgmental, dude. You know, all of which are... <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's a simple fix. It. it is a simple fix, but I also don't think that we're necessarily taught how to do that. We are taught as we're growing up. That's what you do. You have all your little things. Muslims are this. Women are this. Gay people are this. Overweight people are this. We have mm. all of these things. And we, it's so much easier to go through life and go, you belong in that box, you belong in that box. It's easy. And what I'm saying is it's mm. much more, it takes a lot more effort. Once you've put somebody in that box to take them out of that box and see them as a person, it's a lot more effort than it is to see them as a person initially and get to know them than it is to take them out of the box. That was the point I was making. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing is once you're aware of the box, it becomes much easier to take people out of the box. It's that people don't realise that the boxes exist. We just we don't think about it. We don't think thinking about thinking is the problem. There's no self-awareness there. No, I find that really quite surprising because I, as, as everybody knows, I like to analyze what I'm doing <laughs> and what everybody else mm. is doing as well. My children were not an exception to this rule. <laughs> they got <No>. analyzed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did. A lot. We did a lot, listeners. <laughs> Much analysis. <laughs> it was fun, actually. So why do you think that, Ryan? I would like to say for the record, listeners, asking that question of a teenager is cruel and unusual because we honestly don't know the answer to those questions. We do stuff and then figure it out later. People are great at, at reverse analysing their decisions. They justify them in retrospect. And that's what teenagers do. We just do stuff and then we figure it out later. Which actually it works for this as well. A lot of people do retro-justify their decisions, their preconceptions. Even if they don't have real reason for being hostile to someone, they'll just be hostile as a as a, a knee-jerk response because of this box. And then later on, they'll say, oh, here is the justification for that. This one thing says that this, blah, 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 blah. We're fantastic at finding evidence to support our views. We're fantastic at, at that. And so I think that that lends itself a lot to this prejudice, these discriminations. And our legal system, interestingly enough, really makes good use of that hindsight justification, doesn't it? Just thinking mm. about it now. I'm thinking of a particular case in Australia, the Bruce Lehrman thing. This guy was accused of raping a woman called Brittany Higgins, and now there's a he's suing various media outlets and Brittany Higgins for, what is it, slander and a few other things, but it's all retrospect, looking mm. at justifications for certain actions and not just on his part, 
it's on other parts because that is how we as a society tend to work and the legal system works. It's true. And in, in fairness, of all the legal systems that we could put them in place, it's probably the most the the most fair or at least the least unfair. All of the, like just justice in general is an absolute colander because you can't rely on anything. Eyewitness accounts are no use whatsoever. Psycho like psycho look at criminology, everyone. Just go and look at it. You cannot rely on eyewitness accounts, just cannot. The same with lie detectors, absolutely no use. Fingerprints are circumstantial at best. A bunch of other things. Like the justice system is just an absolute colander. But we do our best, friends. We do our best. And that's what we have to just keep asking questions. That's the point of the justice system. You've got to keep reevaluating things, re keep asking questions again and again. That's why we have defense lawyers. Because the justice system is just, it's very difficult to say what actually happened because everything's perspective. Everything's perspective. Especially when you say something about justice. But that's it, that the same thing applies to this, to this discrimination. You have to constantly reevaluate things, ask if you are discriminating, if you're being lazy about your thinking, because it's so easy for your brain to make another box quietly in the background and just start putting things in there. And you won't notice. You don't notice the boxes. You just say, oh, you just have a box. It's great. It's fun. I'm aware of these boxes. These are the bad boxes. And here's another box behind me that I'm not paying attention to, but I'm going to keep putting things in. Be aware of your boxes, people. It's interesting when it's reversed because like I'm white, middle class, educated, fairly skinny, all the rest of it. And I was out. So I don't, the discrimination I get tends to be as a woman. And I was out riding my horse one day and down the road, there was a house that had another pony and the two ponies started talking to each other. And this particular family were indigenous Australians. And there was a youngish mm. guy, his wife, and their uncle there. And the youngish guy came over to talk to me, and he was all friendly. But the woman was just, she was full-on antagonistic glaring at me. And I was really horrified because I was like, you're discriminating against me. You've put me in some box that labels me as abusive white woman and or whatever it was. That was the label I put on it. And I was really hurt by that. And then I thought, I do fall into that category for her. And I don't like being on the receiving mm. end of discrimination. But how many times have I prejudged somebody based on their race <laughs> or the way they're dressed mm. or whatever? That's it's not nice when like, you're on the receiving you, end. No, yeah. no one can claim to be free of any racism or sexism or discrimination at all. No one can claim that because we're all filled with it. We all have these, this laziness of thinking that exists. And we all have these connections that we think exist between certain traits that people can control and traits that they can't. And I kind of keep connecting those things. And it just, it's all just about being aware of that. And I think one of the big problems is because everyone's suddenly aware of discrimination, it's become a big kind of social cue we, we can't discriminate against people so the people who discriminate are now discriminated against and we discriminate against people who are discriminating because they discriminate against us and it's just keep making smaller and smaller boxes to put people in oh i don't like you because you discriminated against me because of that and now i'm going to discriminate against people who are like you because they discriminate against me rude 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 rude, rude. i'm not saying that you do this it's just oh, I know. 
Like that's a big part of this kind of performative awareness, social awareness. It doesn't help anything, and it continues to make boxes. Yeah, it does. It does. <laughs> and I'm totally one hundred percent justified in discriminating against people who are abusive online, particularly middle-aged white men <laughs> who are overweight and have bald heads. Just saying. So, it's not all bald men white bald men but uh, certainly the ones that are discriminatory sure <laughs> point is we go case by case you put them in the box after you go case by case and occasionally you can take them out and give them a good look give them a good analyze and say you know what you go back in the box or you say you know what you've grown as a person you're not a concept you're a three-dimensional consciousness that is allowed to make its own choices and grow regardless of how rare that is that's what i think did you know what though i'm kind of as you're talking, I'm going, I'm doing all the yes, buts, the reason for not bringing those. Yeah. No, I'll do that for him. I want to keep them in the box. Yes, but the rest of them, no, they can stay. <laughs> not worthy. Don't care. Mm. It's a choice. <laughs> There's something else to be aware of, actually. I think it's worth bringing this up because there's honestly no real correlation between intelligence and discrimination but there's two different kind of causes of it the first is cognitive laziness you're taught something and you're like okay that's true i need never analyze that again i'm going to keep that in the box forever but the other type is that speaking cognitively intelligence is measured by your ability to make connections between two points which means that you love making connections between two points, even if those two points aren't remotely connected whatsoever in reality. So the second cause of discrimination is because you want your thinking to be as tidy as possible. You want the universe to be boiled down into things that you can understand and you can predict. Before we get into the faulty thinking, listeners, of assuming that a person who is clever is less capable of discrimination. Let's dispel that immediately. If you like making connections, you are more vulnerable to discriminating against people. Super I fun. love making connections. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. I also try to but it's be worth aware thinking. of what I'm doing. Yeah. But it's also, I can... I'm constantly surprised by the hidden depths of that discrimination. Oh, I didn't think mm. I was like that. Yeah, I totally am. Everyone discriminates. There is no exception to that rule. Everyone does. All we can do as individuals is turn those connections onto ourselves. If we've made connections between people habitually, we need to look at ourselves and say, oh, I see another connection and the connection is me doing this <laughs> and then the kiss <laughs> we don't like that it's important to to scrutinize ourselves we have to be responsible for that laziness is not an excuse oh i, I really discriminate against laziness i've got to say <laughs> in any form I do. yeah that's that's a good point like uh, a lot of the time we allow discriminations to continue to exist as long as they're morally justifiable. We discriminate against people who are lazy. We discriminate against people who are greedy. We discriminate against people who are murderers, all of which are bad traits. 
But if we can justify why we say one a person is one of those things, regardless of whether they think they are, then that can easily turn into a discrimination. If we discriminate against people who are lazy and logically laziness equals obesity or vice versa, then bam, problem. I was yeah. just going to say that to you. Is our discriminations ultimately based on some kind of moral standard, whether it's laziness, greed, I can't remember, the seven deadly sins, gluttony, lust. But are they based on those kind of things? Kind of yeah, sh short answer is sometimes. Right. The short answer, which is much, much shorter than the hour-long discussion, is sometimes. Not always. I wouldn't even say most often because of that retro justification. Yeah, I, I'm having to bite my tongue to, to stop from going into to another topic because that's a big one. Let's that's talk really, about really, that really, really, next really time, then. We'll talk about that in a few weeks yeah. because that's a really interesting one to unpack, isn't it? That's worth a lot of discussion and I can see where we would digress in order to unpack other things because it basically boils down to who you are as a person, which, as we know, is very complicated. It's a very complicated topic, that, how we determine who we are as a person and what we think. And often it's not conscious. It's not conscious thought. And it has much more to do with how we think than what we think. Just to give everyone a preview of when we sit down and discuss this for a solid hour next time. When we're both not sick. Should we wrap it up mm. there on that point? Let's. I think it's been about an hour, hasn't it? 48 minutes. Yeah. Oh. I know, but I think we're both flagging a little bit, aren't we? Time to lie on the lounge and yeah, not do anything, bit. I think. Ugh, I like your flowers behind you. I should put flowers behind me. You're just looking at the you big grey blind, blind there. Yeah. That's not a bad idea, actually. Yeah, make it look more interesting. I haven't even considered things. Yeah. You have to ask your landlord. You could do that. Very creative. I've asked for a lot of things from my landlord. They still love me. I have a superpower. I'm a very nice, white, middle-class, suburbanite boy. Everyone loves me. Uh, say, oh, Ryan, he's so polite and charming. I barely have to do anything. It's great. All right, we're going to go. Thanks, gorgeous. You're very welcome. Thanks for listening, everyone. enjoyed this episode be sure to subscribe and don't forget to rate and review this podcast and share it with your friends thanks so much for listening and i hope you're leaving with some thought-provoking information that can make a difference in your life see you next time <laughs>